We're going to continue the Blessed Life series. Pastor Matt, in the last couple weeks, started a series called The Blessed Life, and I am going to continue that series today. And I believe that living a blessed life is for all areas of your life. You know, many times when somebody says, oh, I'm living the blessed life, it always comes down to money. That's the first thought. Now, money has a part of it because that's a part of your life and a large part of your life, but living the blessed life is for all areas of your life. It's your finances, it's your household, it's your marriage, it's your relationship, it's your career. I want, I want every promise that the Bible has for me. I don't know about you, but as for me and my family, I want all areas of my life to be blessed. I don't want to be blessed in just a couple areas and the other one just be lagging behind. I want to be, I want to be living for God 100% of the time. I want all my areas to be touched by Christ. And today, we're going to talk about it in the context of stewardship. And stewardship, I think, many times is one of those Christian words that we're not even really sure what it means. And if we do think we know what it means, sometimes we have the wrong thought. Because many times when the pastor gets up here and talks about stewardship, the congregation is thinking, oh, great, now the church is on a, a stewardship campaign and they're asking me for more money. Or, or it, I heard stewardship, but what that really means is tithe. Stewardship means none of those things. Now, both of those things are in, you know, encompassed into stewardship, but st all stewardship really is is the managing of something on someone else's behalf. The managing, ma managing of something on someone else's behalf. Or said another way, it's the way you live your life. Because the way you live your life shows how you're being a steward of all God's blessed you with. We're just managing the things that God has entrusted us with. And I believe that this Bible talks about stewardship. It's a theme in the Bible you can trace from Genesis to Revelation. It's rooted in creation. It's talked about throughout the Bible. And it's a way and a plan and a structured plan of that for us to live a successful, godly, spiritual, blessed life. And today, I have big aspirations for today. So I hope you're ready. Today, I, I want to do something huge. Today, I, I want to totally change, totally change the way you think about being blessed. I want to totally change the way you think about what living the blessed life means. I want to totally change the way you think about your finances, the way you think about your relationship, the way you think about your marriage. I want to totally change the way you think about your entire life. So who's ready for that? All right. That is, by definition, what a game changer would be, right? right? This church is filled with a bunch of game changers. I had the, yeah, I still have it here. You know, I don't know if, if you're new here or if you haven't picked up one of these. I just picked up one of these last week, and it's the Life Church Raising Up Game Changers Vision. And I, if you haven't, there's some in that back right there. I would encourage you to grab one of these and read it. And I'm telling you, if you read this and you're not motivated and inspired to do something big and know that you're called by God to do something big, you better check your pulse because I don't know how you can read this and not be, and not be ready, ready to go. I mean, it, it's great stuff in there. So I want to I renew your mind today. And I, the Bible talks about, a lot about renewing your mind because like I said, I want to change the way you think about your life. And I don't know if you think about your life like this, but really, your mind, before you change anything 
in your life, you achieve anything in your life, you have to, you have to settle the score in your mind first. Whether you think about it or not, your mind, your mind is the biggest asset that you have. It's the biggest asset that you have. Now, if you believe me on that, the reverse of that is also true. That your mind is also the thing that is most likely to hold you back. That's just, that's just the way it works. And a lot of things, your mind is one of them. But when we, when we think about this in a godly way, when we read our Bible, our mind is our greatest asset. And today, a lot of today I'm going to be talking about is the renewing of your mind. And in uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that's where I'm going to start. What's interesting about the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters, the Bible lays out some spiritual truths that God has given us. And then starting in chapter 12 and the next four chapters, the Bible goes into very practical ways of how to walk out and how to live out those spiritual truths. Romans 12 in chapter 1, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And a living sacrifice means your entire life. Your body is a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Bible is very clear. We shouldn't be conformed to this world, but we should are renewing of the mind. And it says to prove it. What does to prove mean? To prove means to test it. And we test these spiritual truths by walking them out in our lives day by day by day. And that's what Christianity really is. Christianity is simply not this group of ideas or a bunch of hunches or theories or what I feel like at the time or a guide to speculation. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is very practical. Christianity, God's word, is set, it, it's set up in processes. It's set up with structure. It's very systematic. God is not a God of chaos. He is a God of order. He's lined these things up for us to live in this way. Like my body, is, my body runs on a system, right? So if my heart stops beating, I'm in trouble because it's based on a system, Right? If my blood stops pumping, my body's on a system. It doesn't work. God is a systematic God. Right? He created the heavens and the earth and the stars and the constellations and the galaxy and the Milky Way and all that stuff. And what is all that stuff called? It's called the solar system. It's a system. God is very systematic. God is very practical. And I know before you ask the question or before you have the thought that this guy doesn't know what he's talking about because he's totally disregarding the Holy Spirit, I am not disregarding the Holy Spirit. The very opposite. When you live a life like what I just described, you know what you're doing? You're allowing the Holy Spirit to move in your life. You're giving the Holy Spirit room and the opportunity to move. If you don't do it that way, then you just simply have chaos and you don't know what's God and what's the Holy Spirit, what's you, what's your mom, what's your grandma, what's your dog, you know anything. God is systematic. It's a systematic approach to living. And there's two roles. There's two roles to, to living the blessed life. 
There's God's role and there's our role. You can't really break it down any more than that. And if you hear me speak again or another time, you, you'll notice that I, I try to break, because I'm not very smart, okay? I'm not, I'm not that smart, so I try to break things down as simple as I possibly can. Einstein once said, make things as simple as possible, but none simpler. My dad used to always tell me, just you know, run your life with the KISS theory. Everybody heard the KISS theory, K-I-S-S? -S? Anybody know what that stands for? Keep it simple, stupid. And I'm telling you, next time you think about it, I'm not calling you stupid, but, you know, keep it simple. Because many times, our mind plays tricks on us. And, and, and we get ourselves all, all confused and discombobulated, and then we don't know what's going on. We just have to go back to the basics. And the basics for living the blessed life and living the life God has created for us is to understand there's, there's two components. There's God's role and there's our role. And we have to understand the difference between the two. There are things that only God is going to do, which I'm, we're going to talk about, and there's things that only we can do. And we can never play God's part. And believe it or not, as much as you want to pray about this, God will never, God will never do your part. And it's real easy to distinguish whose part is whose. God always handles the supernatural part. And you always handle the practical part. And I'll give you the best example. If you're, a, if you're a, somebody that prays for people, don't, don't get offended by this because I'm all for praying for people, obviously. But let's just, take, I'm gonna, let's, let's just say I'm going to pray for somebody to be healed. I'm going to go lay hands on somebody and pray for them. The act of laying on of hands is practical. That's my role. I have no special no special nothing. Now, I need, somebody needs to teach me, and I need to be trained, and I need to be led by the Holy Spirit. But the act of laying on the hands, anybody can do that. That's my, it's very practical. Now, when I pray for that person, and that, get, and, that, and that person gets healed and receives healing, that was not my role. That was not my role. I have no control over whether that person gets healed or not. I have no control over what God does. That is God's role. God's role is the supernatural role, and we cannot be confused, and we cannot get, act like our role is partly supernatural, and God is going to do our practical job. That's where nothing happens in our lives, and we're confused, and we're stressed, and we don't know where God is. So we have to understand what God's role is and what our role is. And it's a partnership. These things work together. We have to, hey, as Bible-believing Christians, we have to love the spiritual things of God. And just as much as we love the spiritual things of God, we have to love the practical things of God. They go hand in hand. And I'll tell you, the, the best example I can give you of a person that does a great job and a great job of living their lives and walking in loving the spiritual things of God and loving the practical things of God is your pastor, Pastor Matt. He is by far and away the best example that I can tell you of somebody that does those two things with a balance that is just, it's, I, it's extraordinary, Let, let's just say. I'm not saying it's supernatural because that's not his role. But let's just say it's extraordinary in the way he does that. And it, it's, it, it's a, I would say it's a gift 
that he has, and not very many people understand the importance of doing things in a supernatural way and doing things in a practical way as, as Pastor Matt does. Don't tell him I said that. He's going to think I like him. So today, I want to re renew your mind about some of these things. And I, anytime you're talking about money or something, it's a, a little bit of a tough topic. But I, I want this to be motivating and inspiring for you today. I want you to be able to see, wait, there's, there's a way that God has designed me to be blessed. And that includes my finance. I'm going to do a little exercise with you in your finances to kind of prove a point, I think. For the next 15 seconds... Just take 15 seconds and just think about your financial state as it stands right now. Okay, I can probably know what you thought about. You thought about all the bills you have to pay. You thought about your mortgage. You thought about your car payment. You thought about your credit card debt maybe a, a school bill, maybe a school debt. You thought about all those things, which leads you to anxiety and stress and worry. Then you thought about, okay, is that job going to provide for me? Do I need to get a new job to make more money? And anxiety and stress and worry. Now forget all that. Try, try to forget all that like an Etch-A-Sketch when you were a kid and you scribbled on there, shake it up. Let it disappear. Now for the next 15 seconds, think about your desired financial state of what you would really want that to be. I can probably know what you're thinking there. You're thinking about all the money that you need to erase those bills. You're thinking about the boat you're going to buy, the speed boat you're going to buy, then the, the bass boat you're going to buy. You're thinking about the house, the big house you want. You're going you're to think about, you know, the nice watch, the nice car. Guys thinking about that real nice guitar he's always wanted. No, I don't know that. You're going to think about all these things. But I'm here to tell you, there's no amount of money that you can have in your mind that it's going to change the way you think about your finances. Because you're thinking about them in a worldly view and not how God wants you to view those. You've seen those shows, uh, this is like the lottery killed my life or the lottery ruined my life. It's these people that won the lottery and now their life is like in shambles. We have to be good stewards of all that God's blessed me with. We have to understand it His way. I have, the, I have the opportunity and just in past careers and stuff, I, I, I mentor, coach, whatever you want to talk about, uh, lots of successful business guys. I think from my background, it's guys that I know. And I, I would say this, that I, I, I meet with guys and, and many of them have more money than I would even know what to do with. They would say this up. They would say, I have more money. I, I, have, I have made more money and reached a level of success that I, I I'm shocked myself. That's what they would say. But at the same time, those same guys would have the same stress, anxiety, and worry that somebody with not out those means. Because see, what those guys have is they've, they've achieved this level of success on a worldly stage or in a worldly means. 
but they have no significance when it comes to the spiritual things. And they're never going to receive that and understand that until they renew their mind to the way God thinks about these things. And here's why I would say it's important. Our finance is important because our finances drive a lot of what we do and a lot of what we think about it. I know, you know, if you're like me, I want to say, well, I'm, I'm way more spiritual than that. My finances don't drive it. But it does. It's just, it's just the way humans think for some reason. There was a poll, the Harris poll, and I don't know who Harris is or what their poll is about, but it, this, is, this is similar to other polls, polls that you could, you could Google about the state of people's finances and what they think of them. 72% of Americans report feeling stressed about money in the last month. 22% of Americans would feel extremely stressed. 76% of households live paycheck to paycheck, and 25% of households have no savings at all. And as mind-blowing as those stats are, that's just the finances. The study also goes to show, and this is just, you can know this, it just goes, it affects every area of your life. The long-term financial stress, it says, seriously affects your physical and mental health. It's linked to, to migraines, cardiovascular disease, work absenteeism, insomnia, mental health problems, depression, disorders. And we're talking about, and any study will show, that the numbers for Christians and non-Christians are about the same. So those statistics I, would, I just spoke of, those are, by definition, kind of Bible-believing Christians. Now, I didn't even mention that it's also a proven fact, and you can Google this as well, that our, not only are our marriages falling apart at an alarming rate, if you look at the top why people get divorced, finances is either number one or number two. Now, that's important. We have to understand this on a worldly thing. And the thing about this, all this destruction and misery, all this stuff and all this mental turmoil we go through, it's an entirely preventable problem. We don't have to live like this. We don't have to live like this. The Bible is very clear when it talks to, about money and about, how, about stewardship and how we should steward our finances. And I've got good news for you. You're like, finally, right? Good news for you. Stewardship is a learned skill. You don't come, you don't come out of the womb being a great steward of your money. You don't come out of the, your, the womb being a great steward of your life. All these things are a learned skill set. Minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. Getting into God's word. Opening up your ears so that God, God can speak to you. And when you do that, you start, to, you start to become pretty good at this stuff. And you start to be able to be a good steward. I think I'm fairly good at, our, at managing our finances. My family thinks I'm a cheapskate. It's honestly, it's probably a little bit of both. It's probably a little bit of both. Stewardship is a big deal. And I can define stewardship, not define stewardship, but walk you through stewardship and your understanding of stewardship. Three real things. Three real easy things. God created everything. God owns everything, and he delegated responsibility to you and I. God created everything. God owns everything, and he delegated responsibility to you and I. The first two are God's job. 
The last one is our role. Number one, God created everything. Stewardship begins in the Bible in the very first verse. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything. You know what the definition of everything is? This will blow your mind. You know what the definition of everything is? Everything. Everything. You look it up in the Greek, it says everything. God created everything. This is the beginning of all biblical principles. I'm sure you heard the story a few years back that there was an atheist scientist that thought he could create humans in a better way. So he goes to God and says, God, you've done a great job making man and, man and woman, but I think I can do it better. God says, well, if you've got something better, that, that, that's great. Try it. So he's okay, let's, let, we're going to meet Tuesday at 9 a.m., and I'm going to meet you, and I'm going to show you how I can make a better creation. So they get there, and God says, all right, I'm ready. And the atheist said, okay, I'm ready. Here we go. I'm going I'm to make, make a greater man than you did. All right, I'm going to start with my pile of dirt. And then, and then God says, whoa, 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 whoa. The guy says, what? And God says, well, get your own dirt. Come on. Come on. Get it? It's God's dirt. God created everything. There's nothing that we can add, so we might as well stop trying. This is the beginning of all biblical stewardship principle. God owns everything. Number two, God, God created everything. Number two, God owns everything. Not only did he create everything, he owns everything. Your life is on loan from God. You are just simply a steward. Psalms 24, 1, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. See, one and two, God created everything and God owns everything. That's God's role. Like we talked about, there's God's role and ours our role. That's God's role. Number three is where we start to get involved. Number one and two, whether you agree with me or not that God created everything and God owned everything, it's really not up for debate. It's just a spiritual truth and a spiritual law that God has set in motion. It's not, it, it's, your, your, your opinion on it isn't going isn't gonna to change God's spiritual truths. Number three, God delegates responsibility to us. God calls us to manage what he created on our behalf, his behalf. And I don't know, this, this kind of confuses me. I probably, if I was God, I probably wouldn't do it this way, but this is the way he, he works. No matter what God does on this earth, on this worldly earth, whether it was 300 years ago, whether it was today, whether it's a thousand years from now, he can only move in one way, and he chose one way to do it, and that's through people. That's through people. Sinful, imperfect people like you and I. We are the stewards of everything that he wants to do here. It's up to us. Not only do we have responsibility for our own finances, we have responsibility for an entire life and what God's going to do in and through us. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 3.9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. See, God is at work in your life all the time, whether you realize it or not. But we have to understand that we have the opportunity and the privilege to play a part. 
God has not called you to just fill a seat in this church. God has called you to do something. And God has called you to do a very specific calling that only you can do. That only you can do. So it's not going to look like everybody else. It's not going to look like other things in the world. We have to settle that fact in our mind. We have responsibility for what God is called to do and it's stewardship and how we live our life. And God is a good God. God is filled with blessings. That's what he wants for us. Genesis 1, 26, 28 said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the heavens and the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Jumping down. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on this earth. We have responsibility. Genesis 2.19. If you ever wondered why God named... A giraffe, a giraffe, and a lion, a lion, a hippopotamus, a hippopotamus, and all these other animals that you're taking care of, what their names are. He didn't name them. Adam did. Adam named all the animals. Genesis 2.19. Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Now that's a pretty big endeavor. And I would submit to you being a stewardship over your life, sometimes it's a big deal and sometimes it's a little deal. But we have to follow God in the big and follow God in the little. And we have to understand that God is working all around us because most times, most times, Life happens when we least expect it. And most times, opportunities present themselves. Quite frankly, we don't have time in that moment to pray about it. We don't have that time in that moment to see a prayer partner. We don't have time in that moment to call Pastor Matt and see what he thinks. We have to understand in that moment, we have to be prayed up and understand in that moment, this opportunity that's presented in front of me, what's God's part of this and what's my part of this? And in many times, if you're asking that question, most times God has already played his role. Now it's time for you to step up and play your role. And there's a couple ways we can, we, we can start to recognize how to do this. Number one is we have to understand whose are we? Who do we belong to? And if, you, if Jesus is Lord of your life, you're born again, you belong to Christ. And saying yes to Jesus saying means yes to everything he wants us to do and saying no to some of those worldly things. Luke 17.33 says, Whoever seeks his, to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. And then once we figure out whose we belong to, we have to figure out who owns all this stuff. And I think we've already, I've kind of already established that God owns all the stuff. And understanding these things, there's, there's really no path to the blessed life 
without understanding where we come from, who we answer to, and who actually owns all the stuff. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. And many times we've tried all this stuff our way, right? How many times have you tried to take control of your finances? Maybe you tried to take control of your finances and you tried to save money, but you're no, you, don't, you don't tithe. Well, that's only going to last for so long because you're not following a biblical principle. And we do things, whether it's finances or not, all finances or not in our lives all the time, and we do the same thing over and over and over again, and it never works. You know what that's called? That's called insanity, right? The definition of sanity is doing the same things over and over and over again and expecting a different result. We need to get outside of the worldly way that the world operates and get inside of God's, God's word. And we have to understand the difference between being an owner and a steward. God's an owner. We're simply a steward. If you look at this church here, Pastor Matt is not the owner of this church. Pastor Matt is just simply stewarding everything that happens here. And it's ultimately up to the God to play his supernatural role for this church, but it's up for Pastor Matt and the rest of us to, pray the, to, to, to play the practical role and walk out those supernatural things that God is telling us to do. And those things are hard, I get it, because in the world we live in, we have all this outside noise. And all this outside noise prohibits us from doing this. And it really does it in two ways. Number one is fear. Fear comes over us. And a scarcity mentality. A scarcity mentality meaning I have this thought of I'm never going to have enough. That no matter what I have, I'm never going to have enough. And those two things, when you're moving forward in anything in your life, one way, one way to do it, and it's, it can be very helpful, is just to remove some roadblocks. You may not have to do anything new and ingenious, but if you just remove some roadblocks, like in this instance, if you remove thinking about fear and thinking about scarcity mindset, it helps you move forward. Because fear, whether it's a financial situation or any situation, at the, your ultimate issue for stopping to moving forward is fear. You may think it's something else, but fear is at the root of everything. And you've probably heard the acronym for fear, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. That's what fear is. Now, fear is so strong because fear is actually is the number one tactic that the devil uses. Matter of fact, not only is it number one, it's really the only tactic that he ever uses is fear. And then the scarcity of mindset that we're never going to have enough. Never going to have enough. Here's the best example I can give you of stewardship. Again, stewardship is just managing something on someone else's behalf. I have three kids, two of them here today. I have a son who's 18, a son who's going to be 16 in a, three weeks, and a daughter who's 20, who happens to be out of town today, so she's not here. So those three kids, I love more than anything in my entire life, right? I'm, I've, I love them more than anything. I would give my life for them. I... I want to make 
set them up for success in every way. Both my wife and I do that. We, need, we want to make the decisions to do that. And here's what I don't understand. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around. I know, I know how much my kids mean to me. And I know how much I love my kids. And how much I want to say control the situation and help them through life. So, and especially as they get older in life, it's more stressful, right? Because bigger things happen. And your love grows almost more and more. But here's what doesn't, here's what doesn't make sense to me. Because my wife and I often come to this conclusion after talking and talking and talking and trying to do the best we can as parents, we finally come to the conclusion that as much as we love our kids, we serve a God that loves our kids even more. And what I'm saying is, as much as they're my kids, and I love them, and I want to own those kids. I don't even really like saying this. I don't, I, don't own the, I don't own them. I am simply taking care of them for a small amount of time. And I have to be the realization, and this is the part, because I know how much I love my kids. It's hard for me. I know this is weird as a pastor standing on a pulpit. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around how much God loves my kids. And it's the same for your kids. But I have to come to the understanding that, that he created them and he owns them. And any plan that I have for my kids, any plan that I have for my kids, God has a bigger plan. Any blessing that I have that I want to bestow upon my kids, God has bigger blessings. We have to be able to let go. As a parent, when you have these things, as your kids get older and you have bigger things to talk about or whatever, what is your human inclination is to take more control, make more decisions. But the Bible will say, be more open-handed. Our daughter, our oldest, who's 20, so 20 years ago was, she was born. See, my math's pretty good. Uh, she was born over here in Mel, uh, Belleville Memorial Hospital. I remember this like it, like it was yesterday. When she was being discharged, the nurse brought my wife out in a wheelchair, and I was carrying the baby seat, and I put Brooke in the back seat, got my wife out of the wheelchair, put her in the side, or in the uh, passenger seat, went back to check on Brooke, and I make sure the seat was all good. And then I went back into the car. As I opening the car door, this thought came to my mind. I remember it like it was yesterday. And the thought was, what do I do now? Because I'm going to be home in a little bit. Doctor's not going to be with me. Nurse isn't going to be there. There's not going to be a call button. There's not going to be anything I can push. There's not going to be any bells and whistles. It's just me. And I'm going to do the best that I can to raise her. And you fast forward 20 years, and I think about that journey to where we are today, and really, it's kind of the same thing. I think to myself, what am I going to do now? But when you think about it, I don't have to have the answers because I'm just stewarding the process. 
God knows what's best for my kids. God knows what's best for you. God knows what's best for your situation. This is the reality of who God is. See, God has designed us to live a blessed life. It's all through, it's all through the Bible. He's the most extravagant giver of all time. He gave, his, he gave his only son for you and I. You'll never receive a better gift than that. And we read Genesis 1.28 about God blesses. And you know, a lot of times when we read stories about Adam and Eve, we talk about the original sin, right? That's a popular story. But before there was original sin, what was there? There was an original blessing. There was orig God, God is a God of blessing. It goes all the way back to Genesis. There was original blessing before there was original sin. It just proves the point that God, God is in his most ancient of ways and ancient of days. He's always been a blesser. That is his default setting. And there's too many people, too many Christians, too many people that come to church every Sunday because I've heard them tell me this. They believe God's the creator of all things. They believe God's king of kings, Lord of lords. But for some reason, they think that God doesn't want to bless them. They think that some reason that God has just enough blessings over here, but he's never going to get to them. Or they're not measuring up. I'm here to tell you, that is just not the fact. More importantly, it's just not biblical. You can't find in the Bible any, anything that says anything about that. God is no respecter of persons. On top of that, I run into Bible-believing Christians, people that go to church. They'll say, well, I just don't know if God loves me. Or I just don't feel that God loves me. Again, nowhere in that Bible does it say that. And I don't care who you are in this place, and I don't care what you've done, but the fact of the matter is you're never outside of God's love. The fact of the matter is, wherever you're at right now, or whatever you're dealing with right now, or whatever you're thinking about right now, God loves you the most that he ever will. God loves you the most that he ever will right now. Right now. See, just because we change... Just because maybe the situation changed, God never changes. God is an unchangeable God. So his love never changes. And his blessing never changes. The Hebrew word for blessing, barak, B-A-R-A-C-K, is repeated 330 times in the Old Testament. And I only say that to say that the concept of blessing, although it might be foreign to you, it's really the central storyline the central storyline of all of creation. All of creation. And here, here's, here's one last question. I might have a couple. I like questions, so there might be a couple other questions. But here's one attempted last question that you might be asking yourself. Is all this about stewardship and the way I live my life and even in the way I, I deal with my finances? Is this really a big deal to God? Does God, does God really care about this? Doesn't he care about how, how many people are being healed or how many people are being set free? He obviously cares about this. But what about, what about this stewardship thing? I'll answer it in this way. Before I answer that, you've all heard, you've all heard the, you know, this is a common Christian thing when people say, oh boy, when I get to heaven, when I enter into those pearly gates, I just want to hear those words from Jesus that says, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? We've, We've heard that, right? It's kind of a common thing, right? But many times we don't know where that comes from. Like you don't know, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that. You just don't know the context or where that appears in the Bible. You just, 
one of your really super spiritual friends heard it, so you copied it, and then you used it. But Matthew 25, here's what it says, and it's the parable of the talents. And there was three men in Matthew 25 that all received a talent. And a talent, I don't have time to get into it right now, but a talent was, a, was a, weight, a weight measurement of money. So basically, one talent would have been a lifetime of income. So the first guy, he gives five talents. The second guy, he gives two. And the last guy, he gives one. The Bible says in Matthew 25 that the guy that he gave five to did some sort of business, investment, did something. They got five additional. So he turned that five into ten. The second guy that he gave two to did the same thing, and he got two. He turned two into four. The guy that received one talent buried it in the ground out of fear, probably, and scarcity. But here's the interesting thing about this. And the Bible has the same, the Bible has the same response for the guy that got an additional five and the guy that got an additional two. And I would submit to you today that the reason the, the response is the same, because it wasn't about the amount of money or anything about the transaction, but it was about the faithfulness of those two men. It was about the faithfulness of those two men. Those two men were operating in faith. They were operating in abundance. They were operating in God's blessing. The other one was operating in fear. And in Matthew 25, here is the answer to those two. 25, 23 says, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. My point is, that phrase, well done, good and faithful servant, in Matthew 25, it's the only time that appears. It's the only time that appears, and it's talking about stewardship. So to answer the question of does God think being a steward is important, well, his answer of well done, good and faithful servant, I would surmise to you today that he thinks it's really important. Guy, you can come up. And we do that by living a life of faith. The man that buried his talent, the Bible calls wicked and lazy. And really it's a story about, it's a, it's a tragic story about a wasted opportunity that that man had. We don't want to waste any opportunities. We don't want to waste the slightest opportunity that God gives us. And a lot of living this way is the decisions that we make. Practical decisions. My life verse is John 10.10. 10. Because John 10.10 10, to me, again, I told you I'm a simple guy. It's very simple. It's very easy for me to understand. It's very easy for me to keep on track of my life. It's very easy for me to make decisions this way by understanding the scripture. John 10.10 10 says, The thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come to give you life, life more abundantly. For every decision we make in our lives, you're going to answer it two ways. One of two ways. You're going to answer it with faith or you're going to answer it with fear. 
And when I live by John 10.10, it's an easy reminder for me that every, every moment I have a decision to make. And I am literally deciding with my practical decision, which side of that verse am I going to live in? Am I going to walk out my life in the fear side of that verse or in the abundance side, in the blessed side? In Mark 6, 5, it's my last story. Mark 6, 5 is the story where Jesus goes to his hometown. And usually the story is told that Jesus couldn't do any mighty works there because people were used to him there. He was in his hometown, you know, yada, yada, yada. But in that story, it wasn't God that had changed. God's power was where it always is at an all-time high. God didn't stop from doing supernatural things. It was the people that were different. It was the people that were living in unbelief. Mark 6, 5 says, Now he could, do, he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He laid his hands on a few sick people, only a few, but they were all healed. It was a smaller amount of people because the people weren't coming out because they were living in unbelief. It had nothing to do with his power. His power is the same. The people that stepped forward, he healed. The people that had faith, he healed. Miracles, miracles happen to people who believe. Miracles happen to people who have faith. And I think about these Bible stories and living in faith, and I ask myself this question. And I ask the same question to you. But I ask myself this question. How many blessings has God tried to give me that I've missed because of unbelief? How many things has God tried to do in my life, but I missed them because of my unbelief? You know, in Pastor Matt, last week he finished up his five points, and his fifth point was there is a promise. And there is a promise. And here's the thing about promises they're always in the future, they're always in the future. So even if you think you've missed your promise, it's never too late because God's promises never change and they never leave. The promise is in the future. So for my life, what am I doing? What am I doing to set myself up for the promises of God? And as God goes into this song just briefly, I ask this question to you. Just think about it as he sings the song. What can I do today to be a steward over my life so that all those good things and all those great things that God has for me, all those blessings that God has set aside for me, what can I do to open the opportunity to heaven to receive them? I hope you can renew your mind and understand that God is, some, is up to something good all the time. Remember that 
God created everything. God owns everything. And all those are always good. But that third thing is, he gives us the responsibility to walk those out and be stewards of everything he's given us. And I hope you're motivated and I hope you're inspired by the promises that God has for you. And here's why I'm so adamant, I guess, about trying to live this blessed life for myself and even for you. But for myself, I'm so adamant about it because I've come to the understanding and the realization that if I don't live that way, if I don't walk in all those blessings, what I'm actually doing is I'm living my life on a lower existence than what God has planned for me. I'm living my life on a lower existence than what God has designed me to do. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word today. Lord, we thank you that your name is higher than any other name. Lord, we thank you that we can come into this church this morning and worship your name. And Lord, we just, we hope it pleases the heavens. And Father God, I ask that as we walk out of this place, Lord, that our minds are renewed, our hearts are renewed, our spirits are awakened. Lord, that when we walk into this church one way, we are totally radically changed because of an encounter with you. And Lord, I just pray that living this blessed life as we continue this series, Lord, Lord, that it resonates in our hearts and our minds and that we can be all that you've called us to be. Lord, we love you. And Lord, I just ask one final blessing on these people today, that as these people walk out these doors on this Sunday afternoon, Lord, that you would be with them. And no matter what they do the rest of this week, that they would feel your tangible presence and know that you are near. In Jesus' name, amen.